0: I'm Kim Grinnells of dogman.com with Chris Fetters, and uh, we haven't done a podcast in a while, so here we go, myself, Chris Fetters. And you know, Chris, the minute we start doing a podcast, something's going to happen. So we've kind of got our eyeballs taking a look at Twitter on the site, on our phones to make sure that they don't all announce an offensive coordinator or a uh, tight end coach or any other coaching changes while we're doing that. but. Basketball, a lot going on with basketball. Saban Ahmed's declared it's for the draft. We've got a coaching search underway, but uh, let's go ahead and start with basketball. Last night's uh, nice win over USC. Isaiah Stewart play, playing like a player of the year candidate so far this year.
1: Yeah, I, um, I know Mike Hopkins gets pretty fired up on a lot of different things, but it did still catch my ear a little bit when he said that he feels like that Stewart's the best player in college basketball. And I I don't watch enough college basketball outside of the PAC 12 to know if he's right or wrong. But if you just look at the numbers, I mean, he's basically averaging almost a double double. He's up to 19 and a half points a game over nine rebounds a game. Um, You know he's doing it all. I mean, and he showed Sunday night in that win against USC. I mean, just an absolute route that uh, he can be counted on. Not just on the offensive end, too. I mean, he came up with some key blocks. I mean, they were really active inside, really eliminated what USC was trying to do with uh, Onyeka Okongwu, their big time freshman. And uh, and also uh, Isaiah Mobley, their other freshman. And then also Nick Rakosevich, who seems like he's been there for 10 years. But uh, they did a phenomenal job inside. But Stewart, yeah, hop, Hopkins pretty much said it all when he called him the player of the year.
0: What's really impressive to me with Isaiah Stewart um, is typically when you get a freshman who's physical, that's performing like that, and they're getting beat up, typically other teams are fouling them a lot. Because you typically don't see freshman bigs come in and have an ability to shoot free throws. Isaiah Stewart's proven that he can shoot free throws at a high rate. He's shooting 76% right now, 76 out of 100, exactly 100 free throws so far. And I'd say he struggled a little bit at the uh, beginning of the year, and he's shooting that at a much higher rate right now. But how big of a weapon is that to have at the end of a game to be able to get a guy like that the ball and know that if he's fouled, he's going to be able to convert at the free throw line.
1: Well, two things. That's obvious, yes. I mean, it's, it's a weapon, for sure. But I think the other thing is is that he's shown he can get to the line. He's shown that he's been really adept at, at creating fouls. He's going to the line almost twice as much as anybody else on the team. The next closest guy, I think, is, uh, is Jaden McDaniels, who's gone to the line 58 times. Kwade uh, Green's gone to the line 49 times. So yeah, if if you know that when you get the ball to him, he's either gonna score or he's gonna get fouled. That's a pretty reassuring thought if you're a Washington fan, because if you get hot from outside, it almost feels like it's a bonus at that point because you can almost count on him being an insta bucket every time he goes down the floor and posts up. I mean, he had he had he he's still kind of improving his array of moves, Kim. I mean, there was one last night where he literally got the dump down, and he was backing his guy almost to the baseline, and he just literally almost threw it right over the top of the rim, just just right over his head. And, I mean, it was one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen, but it was like, at the same time, I was like, you know he's going to make it. And so he he's really improved that way. I mean, he's shooting almost 60%, so he's obviously getting phenomenal looks because he's only shooting from five feet in. So, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling, and, and shooting hoops at the end, to seal it is something that I think he's going to do uh, as we go forward, for sure.
0: Well, he has a lot more to his game than just five-foot, uh, you know, uh, gimmies. But uh, he's he's got a jump shot. He's got a really nice form on that. That's an area that he's going to expand in his game. He does have the ability to hit threes if you take a look at his shooting stroke. He's not uncoordinated. It's not a weird-looking shot. He's just got to grow that part of his game and just understand how young he really is. And every game is a learning experience and he's growing, he's learning. And uh, I think he's so much better right now than he was at the beginning of the year. One more quick note. If anybody watches the replay of the game behind the bench, there was a big guy in a gray sweatshirt. That was actually Isaiah's dad down there. He's been here the last couple of games there to watch his son. So always good to to see uh, parents come from out of town to see their kids. But um, And, Chris, you've been around Isaiah enough to know as good as he is on the court. Tell people what kind of a kid he is.
1: Well, no, he's phenomenal. I I would say he's 0 for 8 still, Kim, at three points. So I I wouldn't necessarily think he should be banking on um, shooting those a lot. But, yes, if you look at his mechanics, his mechanics are just fine. I mean, those will go down eventually. I mean, a lot of people harp on a guy like Amir Wright, but you know, the mechanics are there, the shots will fall, those types of things. I, uh, as far as his character and his personality, I know a lot of people want him to try to lead as a freshman. I, I don't really see him as that kind of guy. I see him more as a leader by example, just with his hustle and his consistent, consistency in terms of you know that he's going to bring it in the games but you also know that when it comes to practice he's going to practice like it's a game and he talked about it he talked about you know after the loss to UCLA he flat out said you know people were going to ask how are you going to respond and he goes well we'll find out at practice tomorrow we'll see if people really want to come and bring it and clearly they did clearly they they found out or figured out what they needed to do to 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 kind of create a catalyst or find a response, and they and they put it on USC for sure. But, you know, Stewart is certainly one of those guys that they're going to count on. Quade Green is another guy that I think shows that leadership capability. Naziah Carter, I think, is another guy that that leads in his way, and he needs to, you know, continue to step up. But, you know, they've got some leaders on this team.
0: How about the quote from uh, Coach Hop, What Isaiah told him, I don't feel alive unless my lungs are burning. You want to guard that guy?
1: Well, I mean, Coach Hopp has been talking about Stewart's motor and and his desire to just go up and down the court and do whatever he can to bury himself for the team. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I suppose by the end of his tenure, whether he's here just this year or next year or what have you, uh, I think that's certainly going to be a big part of his legacy because we just haven't... At Washington, Kim, you just don't see bigs like that skilled anyways for the most part. We haven't seen probably a a post with that big of an array of moves since, you know, Spencer Hawes, um, maybe uh, Matthew bryan a to a much lesser extent, but you just don't see a big like that. But you definitely don't see a big like that the way he runs. I mean, he just goes baseline to baseline, and you don't ever see him stop. That's the crazy thing about it.
0: Well, the crazy thing is you take a big athletic guy like that, and then you give him a John Brockman motor, Yes, please. I'll take five. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's
1: he's basically Brockman inside defensively, but bigger. And then he's just way more skilled than John obviously was on the offensive end. Because, you know, on the offensive end in high school for Brockman, all he had to do is just go in there and just, you know, no one was going to get in that guy's way ever. Whereas with Isaiah, he's had to play against true posts his entire life. And, and he's done it not only now at the college level, but he had to do it at the international level with Team USA. He had to do it at the AAU level at the highest levels. He had to do it with La Lumiere at the, at the highest levels of the, of the prep scene. So he's done it at every, at every step along the way.
0: Jaden McDaniels. I'll tell you, sometimes he just does stuff that just makes you go, yeah, you shouldn't be able to do that at that height. And then he does stupid stuff. And uh, I know a lot of people get frustrated with him, but you know, at the end of the day, when you look at him, he's still just so young, so immature, and he's got a lot of growing up to do. Not everybody is is as mature as an Isaiah Stewart. Once his kid figures it out and he starts getting it together and grows up a little bit, he's going to be a force. I mean, everybody projects him as a top 10, top 15 draft pick. But, boy, he's – I mean, last night, again, he, you know, fallen back, puts his arm around a guy and pulls him down. He's got to stop. And I don't know. Um, I'm sure Will Conroy, Cameron Dollar, Coach Mike Hopkins are all in his ear. But uh, I think it's just going to be a matter of him growing up a little bit because at the end of the day, you know, we've t- talked to Hopkins. I've talked to Jaden. He's a good kid that just does stupid stuff at times.
1: Well, I think hopefully – you know, this the USC game was a turning point for him and, and a corner that he can turn that that will show him that when he stays on the floor, he can be a real difference maker. And he wasn't really a big difference maker offensively for them on Sunday. He was three for twelve from the field, uh, one of four from three. He missed half his free throws. But if if Mike Hopkins can get thirty minutes out of him, where he gets seven rebounds, has has three assists. Has you know just the ability to impact plays. He had six blocks, Kim, in the first half of the game of Sunday's game against USC. We thought he was on track to maybe get the team record, which was eight, but didn't didn't have anything. But by then, I mean they were up fourteen. They were they weren't in cruise control, but they were certainly dominating the the pace of play and and how things were going. And USC had absolutely no answers outside once they realized that Stewart and McDaniels, and Hamir Wright, and Nate Roberts. And those guys were just way too active in their zone and and were on pogo sticks the whole night. Anything that was trying to go up by the rim, they were going to contest it, if not flat-out reject it. And and that was huge. But McDaniels, again, they just got to keep him on the floor. If they can figure out how to keep him on the floor, he is so good defensively and so good in those other intangibles that they don't necessarily need monster games from him offensively. He had 11 points, which is fine. I mean, he's averaging 13 right now. That's plenty good enough for a guy like that with all the other things that he can do to affect play.
0: And what I've noticed with Jaden is it usually starts a couple of possessions before um, when he. Uh, pulled the guy down last night it was a couple of possessions prior that he had gone to the hoop and got elbowed in the throat but uh, he was kind of initiating contact did not get the call and he just gets kind of in a funk when things don't go his way especially when he's getting uh, slapped around a little bit but you know that's what some veteran players do you go after the freshmen make them lose their cool and Sometimes, you know, I always say I'm really good at pushing buttons. And if you've got a button that's, you know, as big as a cupcake, you know, I'm sorry, I'm pushing it. And Jaden seems to have that button that seems to be pretty easy to push. And he's got a, a um, basically, you know, the staples that was easy button. You can't have that on his forehead that makes it that easy for people to push to get him out of his game. Because right now, you know, at 18 years old, it sure seems easy to get him out of the game by pushing a button or two of his
1: I I agree. Right now, that's true. Hopefully, by the end of the season, that won't be the case. But to be fair, Washington was able to do the same thing against USC on Sunday. Okongwu, Mobley—I mean, they were combined six of twenty-six from the field, and those guys are their bigs. You you can't have bigs that are going six for twenty-six. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Isaiah Stewart was six of twelve, for instance. You know, Nate Roberts was three or three. I think they maybe were all hammer dunks. Yeah, they were all dunks. Or or put back jams. But that's the point. The point being is, those guys are doing their damage inside up close. I mean, you can't go six is 26 from the field if the majority of your shots are coming from five feet in. So, Washington was able to push some buttons of their own. But going back to McDaniels, there's no doubt. I mean, I think there was one telling play where he took a pretty aggressive. Uh, block on the defensive side and all of the guys immediately raced to him and we're just and we're getting him up off the floor we're hugging him we're making sure that he understood that they had his back right I mean it was I think it's just one of these things where he needs to understand that it's it's the team thing it's it's not all about him anymore it's not AAU it's not federal way this is University of Washington. This is college basketball. You you have a you have a team that is relying on you to stay on the floor and do the right thing. And I and you know, these things will come in time. I mean, again, everybody that I've ever talked to about Jaden McDaniels vouches for his um, for how good a kid he is, high character kid, all of those things. I don't doubt it. I just think there is whether it's buttons that are being pushed, Kim, or whether there's just a trigger where he just feels like he needs to assert himself physically because he's a kid that's six, nine and people expect him to be a, a big presence inside. I don't know, but I think that those things are going to come. The more he plays, obviously the experience is going to be a great teacher for him.
0: Nate Roberts comes in the game, has three splash plays with three, uh, dunks and, uh, boy, the, uh, I don't know what you want to call him The, uh, People that want to hammer on Hamir Wright uh, were out in full force last night. But uh, uh, Nate Roberts came in, definitely gave some energy. There's things that Nate does better than Hamir. There's things that Hamir does better. But uh, Nate Roberts definitely made his presence felt last night, especially with Isaiah Stewart getting a couple of uh, fouls in the first half and be able to sit on the bench for as long as he did.
1: Yeah, I, I know that a lot of people are going to look at that and say, oh, what a blessing in disguise that Hamir Wright had to sit and and only played 13 minutes last night because he was you know because he was in foul trouble but you know the fact of the matter is the Hopkins is going to always kind of coach by his gut and and do his rotations by his gut and and what have you and it's clear that Nate Roberts has been doing the right things in practice he's been biding his time slowly but surely he's going to get in the rotation a little bit more and more I I think obviously they love what his potential is, right? I mean, we saw it in Italy, and that's kind of what was maybe the most baffling thing. Was we saw it in those four games and I'm I'm not here to say that the Italian competition is anywhere close to what they're seeing in college right now, but you saw the dominance, you saw the pure physicality, you saw all the things that you would love in a in a college big with Nate Roberts. I mean, he's so, he's skilled, even with the dunks and stuff. I mean, with his ability To hold on to the ball, for instance, and just you know, and and manipulate it, and then just go up strong the way he does. I mean, that's that's got to be terrifying for other opponents down low. I mean, he's he's doing a lot of the right things, obviously, but you know, I I just I caution people to you know if they jump on the Nate Roberts train, that's fine, but I don't think they should necessarily do it by getting off of the Hamir Wright train. Hamir brings a lot of presence to this starting lineup and offers still he still offers quite a bit
0: it's okay to elevate somebody without putting somebody else down and hamir does a lot of things he's the best defensive player on the team and a lot of people don't see that he also has the ability to hit threes um, he's not shooting them that well but when you see him in practice he's knocking them down pretty regularly and those will eventually start falling at a higher rate it's just a matter of getting that confidence back that'll happen with him he's a great teammate he adds a lot of energy but uh, you know uh, Nate Roberts isn't a guy that's going to be able to go out and hit the threes and stretch the defense. He's not going to be able to play the defense that Hamir Wright is able to play. So, uh, And that's fine. That's not putting Nate Roberts down. But these people who just want to uh, – I always say there's constructive criticism is fine, but some of the people out here are crossing that line. obliterating that line feeling as though you have to just hammer on that guy and he gives you everything he wants and yeah he's taking threes because he's supposed to take the threes and if he doesn't take the open threes he's going to find himself on the bench that's what he's supposed to do he does it in practice he hits them in practice and when you're a shooter like that if you're not hitting them you just got to keep on taking them because they'll eventually start to fall and the averages will catch up and they're going to need him in conference play just like you know sam timmons seemed to be the whipping boy you know the year before And this year it's Hamir Wright. But uh, some of you, if if you don't have anything constructive to say about Hamir, just don't post it. There's no need to do the bashing, you know, that we've seen some out on the board. But uh, Nate Roberts has been a pleasant surprise. And also keep in mind, Nas Carter, you know, was blowing up at the beginning of the year. And then team started to game plan for Nas, and he cooled down a little bit. And Nate Roberts may have a couple of good games here. Let's see how he does once they start game planning uh, for a guy like Nate Roberts. We're getting into the you know crunch part of the season with conference play. This is different. Hamir has been through the wars, and uh, we'll see how Nate Roberts is able to uh, go through those. So, uh, any comments on that, Chris?
1: Well, I, I just think that I think what Hamir Wright brings as a starter is important. I think he brings some stability and obviously brings that experience to the table. I think anybody that sees what he does on defense understands that there's a lot of value there. And if he can add a couple threes in a game, that's bonus. That's just gravy. Um, What I would say is the one thing I would love to see in Hamir is that you'd love to see the rebound numbers go up. you just love to see him fight a little bit more inside for those boards, for those balls for those loose balls, those second chance balls, this the the things that that you know maybe would like I think he needs to maybe be a little bit more of a junkyard dog than than maybe he is. But I don't know, maybe that is asking. That's maybe asking him to do something that he's that he's not. Maybe that's not in his personality. I don't know. But I still think honestly when he comes out, I mean you look at the you know the 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 plus minuses. I mean his plus minus for the full game was still at 10 and he only played 13 minutes I think. Something like that. I mean it was just it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. I mean it was it, you know let's look at his stats. I mean he he was only he only shot one shot the entire game. He made a 3 and again only one rebound. That's probably the most telling one. But other than the fouls, I mean he only had one turnover and he had one steal. I think I think if anything that's just a a very unremarkable stat line that wouldn't tell you one thing positive or negative about the guy.
0: Moving over to the football side of things, Savon Ahmed declaring for the NFL draft. Any surprise there?
1: No, no surprise at all. I mean, I think this is something that was definitely common. Um, I think, to be honest with you, looking in hindsight, and I wrote a little bit about this in the kind of the impact report and how it impacts Washington's 2020 um, running back room, I think this is why you saw Keith Bonifa go for more than one running back in this class. So that's why they got JV on Sunday and Sam Adams to fill in the gaps, because I think they they clearly either saw this coming or understood from an early stage, whether it was in the summer or early fall, that Savon was leaning this way, all things considered, if he stayed healthy and he was able to to do what we saw him do during the season, get to a thousand yards, you know, kind of hit those landmarks that he was gonna he was gonna test the waters. And I think it's a great decision for him. I think there's all sorts of reasons why he could be a guy. We see so much speciality in 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 the NFL right now. Look at a guy like Hollister for the Seahawks, or you know, I mean, there's so many. Or look at the kid for uh, for New Orleans, the old uh, BYU quarterback. I mean, these these guys are guys that are kind of. I, you know, either third down specialists or guys that they can create packages for. And there's one thing that Savon Achman can do really, really well, Kim, and that's take the top off of defense. He is a home run threat every time he touches the ball, whether it's in the air or whether it's in the from the backfield, holding on to the ball and going around the end, or hits a hits a tackle play really hard or what have you. I mean, he can. He is a home run threat, and that's one of the that's one of the things they're going to have to answer as a running backs room in 2020 is where do they find that home run threat now?
0: Well, I think the thing that a lot of people are missing on Savon Ahmed is he's more than just a football player. Uh, he's a very bright kid, highly intelligent. He's got his music thing that he's got going that I think he's going to have a career in somewhere along the line. Um, I think he's going to be a big success off the football field. And when you've been in college and you've been in school for a while, sometimes you're just done with school. You're ready to move on. Do I think he could really improve much if he came back next year? Probably not. But I think, you know, the way he's looking at that is he's going to give the NFL his best shot. And if he doesn't make it, he's ready to move on. Because I don't I don't think um, necessarily there's some guys that uh, – you know, whether they're a football player or a basketball player, when they look in the mirror, that's what they see themselves as. They see themselves as a football player. They see themselves as a basketball player. I think Savon Ahmed sees himself as more than that. I think he sees himself as several things. So if the football thing doesn't work out, I think he's well prepared, especially when Chris Peterson's Built for Life program. I think he's well prepared to, you know, assimilate into the business world, into the music world, and do other things. So, Um, Like I said, I look at Savant, I don't necessarily just see him as a football player. I see him as much more for that. I think he'll give it the best shot. And Chris, I always say this. Everything's about a situation. Dane Looker, look at how long of an NFL career he had. He went to the right situation with the um, St. Louis Rams. If he'd gone to another team, would he have been as successful? No. He just seemed to fit real well. If Savon Ahmed can get into a system where he fits and it fits real well for him, I think he's got a chance to make the NFL. But if he doesn't, he's fine. He'll be fine in whatever he does.
1: I agree 100%. I think the built-for-life thing is is legit in that regard. I mean, and you're right. I do think that Savon Ahmed sees himself as a guy that can do a lot of things very well. And to be honest, if he if he just gets that first contract and – Plays a few years and then realizes that uh, he needs to move on to other things to, you know, maybe maintain his health or for whatever reason. I think he's again like you you mentioned, I and I agree a hundred percent. He's well prepared to do other things in his life and 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 follow other pursuits for sure. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, again, I do see him though offering a unique skill set that I think holds value in the NFL. Um, it certainly holds a lot of value in college football, for sure. But in the NFL, with how specialized things are nowadays, again, if the fit is good and that and the front office has done their due diligence and they find that guy who's perfect for that system, I think he could be there for a few years.
0: Coaching search is underway. They filled one spot with a former GA under... Um, You know, Jimmy Lake, but uh, they filled the defensive back job and still looking for an offensive coordinator. Um, Boy, why am I going blank? Terrence, is it Terrence Brown? Yes. Terrence Brown uh, was a GA under Jimmy Lake, and we've heard rave reviews about him. Real student of the game, real hard worker, did a good job back at Vanderbilt and also familiar with the system uh, that they are running at UW. So um, any thoughts on the hire of Terrence Brown, Chris? Um
1: just i was curious i i thought that maybe he would go hard on Gerald Alexander for instance i thought that that was going to be maybe his guy that he was going to try to pursue uh Gerald to be honest with you Gerald's probably on the on the defensive coordinator track at this point i think his star has risen to the point where you know you know he's probably looking at bigger and better and you know Washington fans may not want to hear this, but they he may be looking at a at a move to Washington as a as a sideways move, simply because that's all he would be doing. He would still be just a, a defensive backs coach. He wouldn't be a coordinator. He wouldn't be doing uh, some of the bigger moving. You know, moving some of the 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 bigger stuff in the within the program. Um, so in that sense, I think Terrence Brown is is just another Will Harris hire. I think they're just, again, it's another guy that uh, has some connections, has some West Coast ties, obviously, because he played at Stanford, and obviously has ties to Washington. And so it makes a lot of sense. And now you have Will Harris moving into the Jimmy Lake role when Jimmy came with Chris Peterson. And then, depending on how things go, Terrence Brown could end up maybe moving into the Will Harris role if Will moves to bigger and better things whether that's within the coaching structure here at Washington or whether it's somewhere else
0: yeah and when you take a look at um, where Gerald Alexander is he's down there with a pretty good staff with Justin Wilcox Peter Sermon uh, down at Cal and Cal is expected to be pretty good next year so I agree with you that he's probably on the defensive coordinator staff as one of the young Up and coming coaches and coming to Washington, you know, with Will Harris already here, I think he's probably at a pretty good position uh, down at Cal if that's uh, the defensive coordinator track he wants to um, follow and also Terrence Brown went to Orange Lutheran Cal, uh, Orange Lutheran High School, and then to Stanford, and then at Washington, and then at Vanderbilt. So he has a really good pedigree. Those are all, you know, Stanford private school, Orange Lutheran private school, Washington a high academic school, Vanderbilt a high academic school. And like I said, his uh, IQ and his football IQ from everything I've heard and talked to is very, very high. So I think it's a pretty good hire for them. And also he already knows the structure and people think that Jimmy Lake is going to get away from the Chris Peterson, for life OKG model. He's not. This is a guy that's going to come in and understand what the structure is, understand what the program is, and uh, I think is a good natural fit. And when you talk about an offensive coordinator, if they bring in a guy like Kellen Moore, Kellen's going to have an understanding of that concept as well.
1: For sure. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, Terrence Brown being from Orange Lutheran, that's part of the Trinity League, which is obviously probably the best league in Southern California. For high school football. I mean, you're looking at Jay Serra, Catholic. We all know like Dante Pettis, Nick Harris, Luke Wattenberg, a bunch of guys like that. Modern day, you know, they just picked up Miles Morale. I mean, that's so that you look at those kind of Santa Margarita, which has had guys in the past come to Washington Servite, like Keith Taylor and some of those guys. And then of course St. John Bosco. There's are a ton of guys. Keith Taylor, Sean McGrew, or not Keith Taylor, but Sean McGrew and uh Terrell Bynum and some of these other kids. So you can just tell this is a natural feeding ground for Washington football, some of their best guys. And to have a guy that's been there and played it and has credibility in that area is going to be nothing but a help in recruiting for sure. And then again, as you laid out, Kim, with all the credentials that he has and the and the academic stuff that he's been through, just coming from a from a place like Vanderbilt, he's going to be all in on the bill for life. I absolutely would have no question about that. And, again, he already understands what the situation's all about because he has coached under Jimmy Lake. He does understand what's going on. And so it really does make a perfect fit on a number of fronts.
0: Offensive coordinator search. you got to give Jen Cohen and staff uh, credit for one thing. If you don't give them credit for anything. But uh, boy, they're pretty good at keeping a lid on things. Lots of mentions of Mark Helfrich. I think Saturday, everybody was talking and Mark Helfrich was going to be the offensive coordinator. Yesterday, it was uh, Kellen Moore was going to be the offensive coordinator. But uh, it could very well be one of those two guys. But then it could be somebody out of left field as well. Today um, and yesterday, a couple things leading to Kellen Moore being mentioned a lot more is Jason Garrett did get fired for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they hired Mike McCarthy this morning. Mike McCarthy, um, you know, pretty good coach. Is he going to want to keep Kellen Moore on staff or is he going to want to bring in his own guys? Hard to say. You know, um, my NFL guys have said that Jerry Jones really likes Kellen Moore, but I think it's going to be up to Mike McCarthy to um, decide who he wants on staff. Mike McCarthy is a guy that, while at Green Bay, consistently called his own plays, not the offensive coordinator. Not exactly sure with uh, um, Jason Garrett uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Was that Jason Garrett's offense, or was that Kellen Moore's, or a combination of the two? And I know Scott Linehan was heavily involved in that, too. So keep an eye on Kellen Moore. And uh, boy, as much as we think Kellen Moore today, we could think Mark Helfrich uh, later this afternoon and somebody else by tomorrow.
1: Well, there's no doubt that that those two names have been at the forefront. And I think a lot of people expected. You know, once what do they call that—the Black Monday or whatever it was—when the, the the end of the season came around, the regular season, that you know, since there's so many moves that are made, so many firings and what have you, that there would be some movement. But I think it does go to show, at least one thing, and that's that uh, you don't hear a lot of information coming out, uh, at least in Seattle. And I think that tells me that Jimmy Lake is definitely looking at the NFL as a real viable option uh, in terms of what he wants to have in an offense, and he said it himself when he got hired that he's he's looking long and hard at offenses that he felt were a struggle to scheme against and to prepare for, and so who knows if that means that the NFL type of offenses and and, and the way that those are evolving in that, that professional part of the game is something that really appeals to him, but there's no question that, that when you look at guys like Helfrich and Kellen Moore and some of these guys, that have a West Coast, um, you know, kind of starting point. That uh, he'd be interested in those guys for sure. But there's obviously a number of guys in college that were uh, that were there, or at least were thought about, like a Rhett Lashley. Um, he's going to Miami, if I remember correctly, now. And then um, you know some of these other guys that are still out there. Whether it's uh, I know Will Hall, the offensive coordinator, of Tulane is a, is a name that people have talked about. Obviously, Chip Long is still out there, the old Notre Dame offensive coordinator. There, there's going to be names out there that people are going to talk about. Um, I just remember Kim, real quick. That uh, when Steve Sarkeesian was hired in 2009, you know we had our head coaching hot board on the on the site on the front page for a long time, and we went through the entire gamut of of head coaching candidates that were that were getting looked at. From Pat Hill to Tom O'Brien to you name it. I mean, there was every single guy in the book was listed. And they ended up taking a guy that wasn't even on our list in Steve Sarkeesian. So could it be a guy that's not even on the board right now on, the, on our front page? Yeah, it could. it could very well be one of those guys. Because, again, this is a decision that's a really really crucial decision for jimmy lake it's going to be one of the first big decisions that really kind of um kind of sets everything in motion for him and it's one of the ones that people are going to remember for a long time
0: coaching convention starts on sunday runs through tuesday in nashville a lot of networking goes on um at the coaching convention so we'll see uh, if anything is uh done by then like I said, the coaching convention down in Nashville is a big deal. Where a lot of coaches, a lot of people looking for jobs are down there, and not only coaches but administrators. And we've also heard some rumors of changes going on in the administration on their recruiting team up at University of Washington. So we'll try to keep an eye on that and fill you guys in on uh, with what's going on with their behind the scenes. And then uh, basketball team heads down, leaves Wednesday, has a game uh, uh, Thursday at Stanford, and then at Cal on Saturday at 5. Again, coaching convention, and boy, it just never ends for us, Chris.
1: No, I'll be heading out to the Polynesian Bowl practices um, in Honolulu next week. I'll be covering that like I did last year, and they've got four guys that are currently signed with Washington. In fact, I know that Roger Rosengarten's already here, but yet he's going to be heading over there. Miles Morales is going to be there. Uh, Garen Hatchett's gonna be there um, God who's the last guy I can't remember I think I, I know there's four guys I don't remember uh, oof, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look now I'm now I'm drawing a blank I'm bumming out now but there's gonna be four guys there uh we're gonna we're gonna be talking about their stories obviously quite a bit and then um, you know and then see what happens during the game as we saw last year the the offensive and defensive MVPs of that game ended up signing with Washington. In Daniel Hamuli and Puka Nakua. so it's it's a it's a game that has a lot of tradition with some uh, obvious connections with Washington, and so I'm really excited to go out there and explore those connections some more and kind of see how things are going over there.
0: Longer podcast than we typically like to do. Any uh, final thoughts? Anything else we need to deal with, Chris?
1: No, I just think that uh, I think this this whole thing with the coaching search, starting with the offensive coordinator and how that's going to go now that they have to replace at least the coordinator and a tight ends coach because of Jordan Pau Pau leaving, I think it lends itself to all sorts of combinations and, and ramifications in terms of how they want to go with this thing, how they want to create their organizational chart for the offense. I think that uh, you know they could go with a run game coordinator or a pass game coordinator. They could involve... Guys like Keith Bonifa and, and Scott Huff and and Junior Adams and different aspects of, of running whatever offense they decide that they want to run. And it's and it's interesting thinking about how the kind of offense they want to run with the players that are coming back. Guys like Jacob Sermon, guys like Dylan Morris, and now Ethan Garber's at quarterback. You know, with the bigger running backs that they have now. Are they gonna try to cater a style that's going to be more in line with that? Uh, with what you would presume to be a more of a power game. So, I I I'm very excited to kind of see what direction these guys head because um right now everything seems to be wide open for them.
0: Lots going on, always is. It never sleeps at dogman.com. There always seems to be a lot going on and uh Usually when we're scattered, things happen. So I'm going to go to the gym a little bit later this afternoon. I know Scott's dealing with his kids, and Fetters probably got something going this afternoon, and that's when things will happen. So just keep it tuned in here. We'll always uh, get you going. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grennells, along with Chris Fetters. Go dogs. <laughs>